Hello and welcome to Russians with Attitude. This is gonna be an experimental introduction to our C-Trap episode. Let me tell you a little story about the mystery behind the Declaration of Independence that I've stumbled upon in the Russian-Ukrainian dark web. Do you remember the chaos of late February, when everyone was convinced that Kyiv is gonna fall in a week? People in Kyiv were giving out weapons, uh, started shooting each other, even created a deadly uh, shibboleth that killed hundreds of people since then. Uh, the word Polyanitsa, that Russians uh, can't pronounce correctly. Russians say Polyanitsa, Ukrainians say Polyanitsa, or something like that. <laughs> Can you say Polyanitsa? Polyanitsa. I don't know. So, they would run up to people in Kyiv and force them to say this word, because they were afraid that uh, the city is brimming with Russian diversions and saboteurs. And uh, if people did not spell it correctly, they would be injured, uh, arrested or killed. The, the problem is that most Ukrainians are Russian speakers, and they all pronounce these little words differently, probably. But it only made it more exciting. Uh, this practice would later be applied to Russian prisoners of war, who didn't even hide the fact uh, that they're Russian. I guess everyone saw the video of uh, Russian prisoners of war rolling around in pain with uh, injured legs, uh, while Ukrainians are laughing and demanding a screaming uh, soon-to-be corpse to say Polyanitsa. It became a word of torture. Uh, but what does it mean? It means a type of bread. The Soviets had a practice of uh, colonization, so that they would promote every ethnic-sounding dish and ethnic-sounding words and traditions in Soviet uh, republics. So they picked this uh, palenitsa from some village cuisine, began mass-producing this type of bread in UK SSR. And who knew that it would be used to sacrifice Russians? I've checked the etymology of the word, and it actually goes deeper, but this is my uh, unique research here. Uh, in Russian language there is also a similar word, pelinitsa. It means a cloth with which uh, in Orthodox uh, churches priests uh, are covering the table of oblation, the sacrificial table in which uh, the bread and wine are prepared for the divine liturgy. As you might know, it is a sacrifice because bread is the body of Christ and wine is, is his blood. So Pilinitsa is what uh, is covering the Christ's uh, sacrifice and uh, Palenitsa, shibboleth that would uh, sacrifice Russians in Ukraine. Typical case of what did they mean by this? Yeah. Um, it's actually, uh, well, like everything the Ukrainians do in this regard, quite stupid. I know people from Ukraine who have never heard this word before the war. And I know people in southern Russia who eat this bread under this name. Yeah, but uh, what else, what other words could you use, uh, really? It's impossible. I mean, I've seen like 80 to 90% of uh, videos from Ukrainian soldiers. They just speak Russian among uh, each themselves. Yeah. And I've seen videos of like uh, Donetsk militia guys um, who are called like 
Taras, Hachluk, uh, who yeah. speak such a deep Surjik that I don't even understand everything they're saying. So it's uh, all really quite stupid. Yeah, a lot of uh, early uh, Lugansk and Donetsk uh, commanders actually spoke uh, perfect Ukrainian. For example, uh, Mazgavoy. We are going to talk about him later in this episode. Of course, it's uh, uh, not a very uh, coherent way of looking at things, but if you look at it, then in rural Donetsk and especially Lugansk Oblast, uh, like in the small villages, uh, the dialect they speak is actually much closer to historical uh, Malorossia dialect than the, what they call literary Ukrainian. And uh, there are a lot of words. Um, I've read an article about this. I don't remember any specific examples, but they uh, named a bunch where basically in Lugansk Surzik they have uh, words that are old Slavic words that were used like in the Middle Ages in that region and which in modern Ukrainian are just German or Polish instead of using the original like uh, more Russian word just so it sounds less uh, Russian. It's kind of so... like Norwegian language with uh, Bukmolen, New mm-hmm. Norsk, right? Such is the problem of uh, many modern constructed uh, languages. But anyway, let's return to Kiev in late February, when everyone was convinced that uh, it would fall in a week and local officials and intelligent agents started burning documents. There was chaos reigning in every archive. Uh, SBU agents were running around in search of classified documents they need to get rid of. A certain SBU lieutenant uh, Mikola Pidarenko was tasked to check and burn certain top-secret files in the National Archive of Kiev. He was sorting through the catalog, and suddenly he found a strange folder. American War of Independence. His curiosity got the better of him, and he opened it. Among various yellow-tinted leaflets and posters, he found a large uh, decade document folded in four. It was an American Declaration of Independence of uh, 1776. It's written by a calligrapher and the first letter is written in a very stylized fashion. Uh, For a person who knows Russian or Cyrillic alphabet, it looks extremely like the letter Z. Look it up. You might uh, see this on the screen right now if you're watching it from YouTube. So, on this sheet of paper, uh, there were signatures of John Hancock and Charles Thompson. It's not surprising, I guess, because, uh, as we know, there are more than 30 surviving copies that uh, were printed by John Dunlap. Maybe it's a modern facsimile, who knows? Here's the scene, right? Mikola was crouching over scattered uh, papers and folders, but he noticed something in the title and he couldn't really believe it. It was a declaration of independence, but the title was as follows, United States of Zmerinka. It was clearly written in the mix of English and Russian. The first letter, which was meant to be an A, clearly read as a Russian letter Z. And there was a noticeable N between I and C. He immediately photographed it and sent it to his colleague, Zmirinka, it's a place well known to any Ukrainian or Russian. 
It's a small but famous Jewish mistechka since imperial times in Vinitsa region. Uh, let's try to decipher what does this piece of paper even means. Is there any larger secrets behind it? <clears throat> so, July 1776, American Congress ordered uh, that the declaration must be transcribed in large letters uh, on volume, the unanimous declaration of the 13th United States of America and signed by all the members of Congress. The calligraphic work was assigned to Charles Thompson's assistant, Timothy Metlek. At this point, the official chronicle of the history of the declaration becomes very sketchy. All that is known is that the delegates of the Congress have signed the declaration on August the 2nd. A month later from the National American holiday, right after that, there begins a dark period for this sheet of paper. The declaration was rolled up in a tube and hidden in archives. All this time, the document was not, the original document was not shown to anyone. They were distributing leaflets with the text instead. So let's look at this um, Timothy Matlack, the calligrapher. Of course, uh, this finding in late February has piqued uh, the interest of many Ukrainian scientists uh, and they started digging information about Timothy Matlack. As it happens, they found in Vinitsa, while visiting church uh, archives, there was a certain Tomislav Matlakovsky, who was originally born in Dmirinka in the early 18th century. We don't know if it's uh, the same person, but let's check their respective biographies. Matlakovsky, actually, he left Russian Empire and uh, he sailed to America where he first worked as a brewer and then became involved in the Quaker movement. Then he went into politics. So the biographies of Tomislav Matakovsky and Timothy Matlek are the same. It's identical. Believe me, it is, okay? Believe me, folks. Believe me. Believe me. So we might conclude that it's the same person. And uh, he was originally from Zmirinka. He was a quite important scribe, uh, he made a lot of papers, including the George Washington's uh, appointment as a commander-in-chief, it was done by his pen. But anyway, uh, you can't uh, find any of that stuff on Anglo-Internet, it's been highly censored. So, apparently, Matlakovsky was overrun with nostalgia, and he decided to scribble a title using a mixture of alphabets and use the similarity of the America and Zmerinka and pretend that it was just a heavy stylization. Uh, at first it worked, because the members of Congress uh, on the day of signing uh, the signature, they didn't really notice anything. But uh, on the next day, Charles Thompson uh, discovered that, well, it's not really an America. If you don't look uh, too closely, it might look like an America, but on the closer inspection, it says Zmerinka. Uh, and that's why the original was hidden, was hidden in the archives. So, there were many attempts to make uh, like a proper original of the declaration, well, of the facsimile of the declaration. 
but the copies were found to be unsuitable for wider circulation because uh, calligraphers uh, in charge of the copying did a lot of unnecessary stuff like uh, embellishing the document with bad uh, designs and monograms. So Congress has set a, a secret goal to make an exact copy of the declaration, but just to correct that it must say American instead of Zmirinke, uh, to be able to display it to the public. The work was assigned to William J. Stone in 1820. The copying process uh, took Stone three years. So the result of this painstaking work was uh, the declaration which uh, all of you had the pleasure of seeing. This aged copy to this day lies under thick glass in the National Archive, Washington DC. But please note that even in this reduced version, the letter A looks exactly like a letter J. It's not Zmerinka anymore, but it is still Zmerika. So, uh, actually, Americans, uh, American elites were trying to foreshadow this unexpected discovery of uh, February 2022. They were hiding it in the plain sight, the usual strategy. Because in 2004, they made a movie telling the whole world that uh, declaration of the independence was actually stolen. Yes, it's true. Uh, the movie is called Treasure of the Nation with Nicolas Cage. In this movie, the main characters, the Nicolas Cage and some woman probably, uh, steal the declaration and then they are cracking its code that would lead them to Templars and Freemasons. And curiously enough, at the behest of the film's producers, uh, the title of the declaration that they apparently stole is never shown up close. All the posters are made with the letter J closed by some object or another. It's a classic tactic of diverting the attention from the actual mystery at hand. Yeah, so, but now you know the truth. It's not the Freemasons, Templars. It was done by a Jewish man from Jmerinke and it was stolen just to hide this uh, shameful fact. So what do you think? I choose to believe this. Um, it also uh, shows that the, the deep historical ties between uh, America and Malorossia and Novorossia, like, for example, very few people know that New York City is actually named after the settlement of New York in Donetsk Oblast, <laughs> and not the other way around. It's true, it's true. That's why Americans are so concerned about the fate of Ukraine, because it's uh, actually the birthplace of American democracy. Yeah, really makes you think. Uh, only RWA is uh, trying to lead you on the right path of uh, knowledge and truth. But enough about that. Let's talk about what happened in the Ukrainian theater of war in the last week. The main event, of course, is complete liberation of the entire Lugansk region with the capture of Lysychansk. Yes, um... Lysychansk was um, liberated and much quicker than anyone anticipated, uh, mostly because the Ukrainian troops there uh, were, well, basically it was a rout. So later the Ukrainians claimed that it was an orderly retreat, but um, it's uh, from what we have seen and know it was not very orderly. 
Um, they left a lot of stuff behind. A large ammunition depot was um, well, recovered by Russian soldiers. How many prisoners of war? Uh, Russians we don't to... know. We right. we still don't have precise numbers, neither for Lysychansk nor for the Gorsk Zavatoy um, encirclements. But I think most actually managed to uh, leave the city. Uh, we don't know how many uh, soldiers were left in Lysychansk at the moment. Um, the city was encircled, but according to the Russian Ministry of Defense, the uh, Ukrainians lost 2,000 people killed in action during this operation. Well, Ukrainian's elites are very smug. Oh, you actually believe that it was a heavy defeat for us? Haha, <laughs> it wasn't. It was all according to Kaikatsu, but <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> but actually, the number of prisoners would tell us uh, what it was, really. If it's a small amount of prisoners, then either Russian soldiers w- uh, just killed all, all of them on site, which is highly improbable, or it actually was an orderly retreat in some I way. I mean, in, a, in any case, even if the retreat uh, saved the lives of uh, large parts of the Ukrainian garrison of Lysychansk, it's still a complete collapse of the front lines there, yeah. and uh, it shortened, basically it shortened the front lines for Russia from 80 kilometers to 30 kilometers, uh, which is operationally very good. Um, well, it was not a particularly difficult or genius um, prediction, of course, but everything so far is going according to what I, uh, what we said earlier. Maybe even faster than we about the next about uh, the next defensive lines being Seversk, Solidar, Bakhmut. As we speak, uh, Seversk is uh, being attacked. Russian troops are very close to the city. Same with uh, Bakhmut or Artyomovsk. The distance to uh, Bakhmut right now is uh, very small. Just uh, the other day, uh, assault groups of uh, Wagner PMC captured uh, Klinova, which is around 7 kilometers from the city limits of Bakhmut, I think. Um, yeah. Basically, I stand by my prediction that the defensive line of Sevak uh, Solidar Bakhmut uh, along uh, the highway there will not uh, be defensible for a very long time. Um, there are currently a lot of Ukrainian soldiers in Seversk. Um, they will probably, I'm not sure if they will <clears throat> try to hold Seversk or fall back even further. But um, basically, uh, the next. So, the one thing I would um, maybe correct is my assessment that they would immediately fall back uh, to the Slavyansk Kramatorsk line. I now think that they will probably uh, build up another line of defense between Seversk and Slavyansk, pretty much in the center, namely uh, Krivaya Ruk Chasov Yar. This line more or less relatively suitable for defense it's uh, almost a straight line it's uh, not much um, urban development there but it's uh, a lot of hills and uh, forest patches um, so 
I also don't think that it will hold for very long, but uh, probably for some time. So I guess we'll see. It depends on uh, how long Seversk and Bakhmut will hold. Um, after that, it will be clearer. But in any case, uh, this might take from a few weeks to a few months um, until the decisive battle for Donbass is being fought, namely the Slavyansk, Kramatorsk, Druzhevka, Konstantinovka line, which will become the final stand of the AFU in uh, Donetsk Oblast, as it's uh, the last well-prepared uh, fortification basically also a very dense urban area also under Lysychansk a commander of a Belarusian nationalist battalion Volat was killed yes the Marchuk. actually the yes the Belarusian uh, far-right volunteers have taken some heavy losses in the um, at least several prominent uh, social media personalities of them were killed in the last uh, days or weeks. So, yeah, it's uh, Lukashenko is probably happy about this. Yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, Lukashenko, on the 2nd of July, he made a speech uh, in Belarusian language. And it's quite rare for him uh, to do this. As I've read, it was uh, the first time since uh, 2014, the same date, uh, 2nd of July. It's a signal to someone, I guess. But what does it mean? I'm not sure. Well, I haven't followed really better uh, Russian politics that closely lately. Uh, so I'm not sure what the internal domestic uh, situation yeah. is for him right now. But in any case, the most uh, hostile to Russia, a Belarusian nationalists are dying right now in Ukraine. Yes, I think uh, Lukashenko also said something about uh, the Rech Pospolita being yeah, the, yeah. the first Belarusian state, <laughs> which is basically a Belarusian nationalist talking point. So, uh, so he decided to hijack the Belarusian nationalism after the death of the most um, uh, aggressive types but it's of course it's bad and uh, i'm just under the assumption right now that uh, basically every single post-soviet state at some point would uh, be prisoner of some sort of uh, orange revolution or will fight against the russian army at some point i hope not of course but uh, yeah let's see how it goes Yes, uh, aside from that, uh, uh, the Lysychansk area remains the most uh, interesting seat of war so far. Aside from that, there hasn't been really all that much happening. Some back and forth in Kharkov and Kherson Oblast. Uh, nothing really of strategic significance occurring there. Russian troops withdrew from Snake Island to the great um, happiness of the Ukrainian side. Uh, and a rather strange thing occurred with uh, the flag there. So the Russian military uh, declared that the island remains under the control of the Russian Navy and the Russian Aerospace Force. But the Ukrainians first said that they planted a Ukrainian flag there, which would imply that they have a physical presence on the island. Uh, this claim was later corrected. And uh, the Ukrainians said that they dropped 
a Ukrainian flag from a helicopter on the island. Mm-hmm. So it's not clear whether this is true either, but uh, in any case, it's uh, yeah, it shows that they don't have the ability to actually really put boots on the ground on the island right now, since um, basically the Russians uh, withdrew from the island because they are in range of artillery and rocket systems. And uh, the same goes, of course, for Ukrainians who would try to get there. Yeah, it's uh, a pointless Norman land, uh, 200 meters. It's a tiny patch of land. It's basically just a rock. Um, You can't really, you can't dig in there since it's all like rock. It will most likely just remain no man's land until the end of the war. It was also a quite funny PR moment for Ukrainian side because they insisted that um, Zmini was liberated with the help of Ukrainian-made uh, Hobbitzer uh, Bagdana, right? Uh, it's uh, not being really produced. They have one prototype of this tech, and they claimed that, yeah, this one Bagdana <laughs> liberated the Zmini island. It's also the first Ukrainian-made tech with the 155mm caliber. Mm. I really doubt that it was because of Bogdana, but in any case, the .u <laughs> is easily reaching the Zmini. Yes, aside from that, um, obviously this was um, like an attempt to uh, divert attention from the fall of Lysychansk, uh, the whole flag-dropping thing, and uh, the other Ukrainian reaction to the fall of Lysychansk was to fire a bunch of missiles at Belgorod. Uh, they hit a residential area, several civilians died. Um, but, well, you know, overall damage was negligible. Um, it's just a psychological thing. And, uh, yeah, I guess it. Uh, they also uh, intensified fire on Donetsk again as uh, they always do whenever something bad happens to them. So, yeah, it's uh, mostly just uh, cope. Yeah, uh, they also like this uh, Dugin screen cap about uh, whoever (laughs) controls uh, Zmini Island is uh, the one who has all the keys to the world dominance or something like that. The usual (laughs) schizoteric... uh, Mumbling. <laughs> yeah. But uh, also, a diversion of uh, attention from Lysychansk uh, was the shelling of Belgorod. Uh, it was not like the previous uh, attempts of Ukrainian shelling on Russian soil. Before that, uh, the targets were some villages in Belgorod uh, Oblast. Uh, this one actually hit Belgorod city. And it killed up to five civilians. A deadly irony because uh, three of them were Ukrainian citizens who fled from Kharkov. Yes. Ukrainians killed Ukrainians in Belgorod and destroyed some houses. Of course, it's a perfect uh, Zrada Primoga cycle that is never ending. Every single Russian victory is uh, immediately darkened by such event. It will probably become worse. 
over time. Just like the shedding of Donetsk is becoming worse, it will probably just get... The terror attacks against civilians will probably become a lot worse the more the Ukrainians lose ground. Um, they're lashing out since it's the only way they have to really fight back. So yeah, I guess this uh, will not stop, the, especially the terror shelling in Donetsk will not stop uh, until the Ukrainian army stops existing. Uh, basically the authorities of the Lugansk People's Republic said as much, they, in their declaration of the full liberation of the territory, they said that the safety of the Lugansk People's Republic will, will only be ensured if the Ukrainian army is pushed back from the borders of the Republic to a distance of about 300 kilometers, which is uh, pretty much uh, the Dnieper. Yeah. The latest uh, shelling of Donetsk killed a 10-year-old girl who uh, actually fought the... She suffered from iron deficiency anemia and uh, successfully overcame it a year ago, but was killed by Ukrainian strike. Yeah, and uh, there is really no way how to shame the West uh, for bringing more firepower to Ukrainian side, which uh, would later kill civilians in Belgorod and Donetsk. Uh, it's very easy to dismiss it. From, well, Russians have shelled uh, themselves to, well, it's a revenge for Kriminchuk uh, shopping center. Actually, we didn't talk much about the quite old... But, yeah, still, what do you think now? Well, it's clear that one missile hit uh, the factory directly, another hit the railroad near the factory, and the blast uh, set the shopping mall on fire. I mean, it's uh, sad, collateral damage is always sad, it's uh, tragic when civilians die, but uh, it, of course, was not a deliberate attack on the shopping mall, as it is portrayed in Western media, as it always is. Um... I, there isn't really that much to talk about. What is the difference between the Kriminchuk shopping center, where civilians have died, uh, and uh, Belgorod shelling? Ukrainians like to ironize that, oh, you shouldn't put a city near your military targets then. Well, I don't think there are any military targets in Spalny Rayone in Belgorod. I mean, of course there is a difference. Um, like if... The Ukrainians actually hit an ammo depot or something in uh, Donetsk Oblast. That is different from when they just randomly shell civilian areas, which uh, I don't think anyone uh, really whines about Ukrainians blowing up military installations or when they shelled uh, like the headquarters of the 1st Army Corps in Donetsk. Uh, I don't think that anyone was morally outraged by yeah. that. It's to be expected. And some but of these it's depots, different. Uh, it... depots are actually in close proximity to uh, the towns, uh, like in Papasne, I think. The largest mm -hmm. blast uh, have destroyed a lot of the Papasne. Yes. I mean, that is just war. That is what happens in war. But that's different from targeted attacks against civilians, which uh, there has been so far absolutely zero proof of uh, the Russian military doing and lots of proof of the Ukrainian army doing. The only response from the Ukrainian side about it is the some rotten irony that, well, maybe you shouldn't uh, attack in the first place. 
I mean, it's not really interesting what the Ukrainians say about sure. it. Um, their justifications have been, it's all the same since 2014. Um, after what they said, after the bombing raid in Lugansk, in downtown Lugansk on uh, June 2nd in 2014, it's basically no one should care about what they have to say. Because it's uh, it's not even outrageous anymore. It's just it's just a, a like literally just psychopathic shizo rambling, and uh, I don't really. I mean, I don't follow it. I don't care. Um, it's absolutely clear what they are gonna say. They always say the same. And uh, yeah, notice how no one talks about uh, like uh, Kramatorsk anymore. Yeah. It quickly died down for some reason. Yeah, I actually thought about it that, um, like, the Ukrainians have talked so much for eight years about like the separatists are shelling themselves that they memed themselves into actually believing that shelling yourself is a really smart military tactic, and they just started doing it themselves in a bit of morbid irony. Yeah. So in any case, that is, uh, I think, uh, most of what we have from the front so far. There have been more intense Russian missile attacks in the last days again. Um, the last two nights, all of Ukraine had air raid alarms blaring. As always, we don't hear much about um, what was hit because of tensorship. The other uh, large thing is, I guess, the conflict between the Ukrainian military and Zelensky. Uh, the Ukrainian general staff has issued an order that um, military-aged men in Ukraine are not allowed to leave their place of residence without explicit permission from the local Vainkamat, the local military commission. Um, a lot of people were extremely outraged at this in Ukraine, um, because despite their declarations that they are gonna fight forever to the last Ukrainian, uh, in actual practice, uh, most Ukrainians do not feel any uh, desire to actually fight to the last Ukrainian. Um, so Zelensky quickly dialed back and uh, basically he blamed the general staff for issuing this order without consulting him. Mm -hmm. Which, which I don't really buy, uh, the general staff wouldn't just uh, make such an order without speaking to the government. They don't have the authority to do this. But in any case, uh, the conflict between Zelensky and Zawufny, the um, senior military commander in Ukraine, uh, has been talked about a lot in the last few weeks. There have been some leaks, uh, some theories or predictions by uh, hackers and so on. Um, that uh, Zelensky is trying to throw Zawufny under the bus for uh, the military failures of the AFU. So I guess we'll see what will come of that. But I think the public reaction to uh, this uh, declaration really shows you a lot about what's actually going on in Ukraine. And um, the head of the military administration in Odessa Oblast uh, also said something in, uh, to the tune of that Sooner or later, all men and women in Ukraine will have to join the army, mm. uh, which was also not very well perceived. Well, does it even matter what the public says? Because war has always uh, strengthened uh, the executive branch of the state. And uh... I mean, this is true. I mean, it, basically, in practice, Ukraine is a 
totalitarian militarized society right now. Well, yeah, it's in the so, state of uh, emergency, unlike Russia, right? Yes. It's a uh, time to remember the Carl Schmitt's uh, sovereign is he who decides on the state of emergency. Actually, it's interesting that in 2014, Ukraine wasn't as militarized and it wasn't, uh, they didn't really enact any state of emergency because uh, even though they have lost Crimea without a fight, they have lost uh, half of Donbass, right? And uh, but such a decree would uh, postpone the elections in the new yes. Maidanit uh, government. And besides, they didn't really have the guts to do it. Or they needed to show their masters how democratic they were instead of dealing with the unrest at hand. Yes, and now it, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, all opposition parties in Ukraine are banned. Uh, people are being disappeared. Um, they are kidnapping the children of uh, Ukrainian officials who collaborate with the, with Russia and so on. So basically, uh, the whole, the whole nine years. Um, but um, the one thing it does change is that while the losses inflicted on the Ukrainian army by the Russian armed forces are huge, these losses are overall if you look at it from a demographic point of view not large enough to prevent ukraine from mobilizing more men and replenishing their troops with uh, untrained cannon fodder uh, what is actually so they don't really diminish the the, the fighting capacity of uh, the ukrainian armed forces as opposed to like vehicle and tank losses and artillery losses which are more important but in terms of just people they always have the ability to just mobilize more people. Well, until the last Ukrainian, as they say. The public reaction to these mobilization measures uh, is very demoralizing. And demoralization is uh, diminishes the fighting capacity of Ukrainian troops a lot more than just uh, dead people. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, what we'll see before complete military defeat is just morale collapse in the armed forces of Ukraine. Do you think that we... uh, the inner leaflets about uh, surrender, you will be fat, Ukrainian soldier will start working? Yeah, um, I mean, we've already seen like dozens of videos of uh, Ukrainian army units complaining about their officers being shit and leaving them behind on the front lines, about them not being supplied, not being rotated, about them taking 80% casualties, and so on and so on. Ukrainians uh, have a dark secret that they know better. They know Russians a lot better than Aristovichs uh, say in their propaganda. And they know exactly well that if they surrender, they will not be tortured and will not be made to say some uh, word uh, with the ge. They might be made to say Ahmatsile. Or, or... Slavarasi, <laughs> right. But, um... yeah, or what uh, I've also seen videos of is the Slava Ukraini v Sostavi Rasi. Right, so Slava uh, Rasi, and then you will tell that, oh, I didn't shoot at anyone, I was just a, 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 cook. a cook, yeah, a medic or whatever. And then you will get a quite comfortable treatment, especially if you are wounded uh, in the Russian hospitals. 
and uh, then exchanged uh, for uh, Chechen bandit, but not really uh, for uh, the last exchange, right? We will. We didn't mention the last uh, ah, yes, biggest exchange. Uh, well, the last exchange was uh, 144, 444. Um, also, in which included on the Ukrainian side uh, around 40 members of Azov, uh, which uh, outraged a lot of people in Russia. But um, basically, those were, according to all official declarations on the Russian side and Donbas side, they were um, all just privates, no officers. And all almost were heavily wounded. Uh, a lot of them were missing limbs. Uh, which uh, actually seemed to be true that it was uh, just heavily wounded and amputees, at least from Azov, because in most of the pictures of the Azov guys, they do seem to be missing arms or legs. So at least, though, um, as much as it angers people in Russia to see Azovites being exchanged, those won't be returning to the fight. Elon Musk will make them true cyborgs, so... They will right. return. From the Russian side, there were uh, the most important um, prisoners who were probably the pilots. The three pilots who were captured in March and whom the Ukrainians refused to exchange for four months. It looks like, well, what it looks like to me is that um, for what the Ukrainians perceive to be valuable prisoners, officers, pilots, special forces guys, um, they only want to exchange them for Azov. And, I mean, at this point, there are something like 10,000 Ukrainian soldiers who are prisoners on the Russian side, and less than a 1,000, or maybe even much less than a 1,000 uh, Russian soldiers who are in Ukrainian captivity. It's a bit complicated, everything. So the Ukrainians don't really care or don't seem to care much for their the thousands of regular IFU soldiers who are in Russian captivity, um, but they insist on getting Azov out because it's a media victory. Yeah, I'm so tired of is. this Azov hype. Uh, it takes two yeah. to tango because the Russian side is no better. It's all about Azov, this, Azov, that, yes. and not about the exchanged russian soldiers and officers and pilots it's ridiculous that everyone in russia knows a nickname of some azov woman and uh, they mm -hmm. are clueless about our uh, heroes right mm -hmm. it's uh, like a 17 moments of spring all over again this nazi fascination is uh, well uh, the, those were actual uh, nazis with uh, cool suits and uh, this one is just white trash with tattoos it's not really comparable and we need to stop talking about Azov so much yeah i mean i mean it's uh, it's also due to russian propaganda right uh, we've talked a lot about this before russian propaganda is trying its best to to make like uh, make it look like there is this huge difference between the evil nazi battalions and the uh, innocent uh, afu but of course, in practice, there is not much difference between them. As I've said many times, Azov doesn't have uh, MLRS. Azov doesn't didn't have artillery. It wasn't them who was uh, shelling children's hospitals with cluster munitions in Donetsk. Um, that was all the regular Mugolas. 
and uh, yeah maybe that's why is... they exchanged a lot of azov guys because they are basically harmless uh, and the regular mikolas are much more deadly to the donetsk and belgorod even yeah possible in any case um i mean azov has a strong lobby in ukraine right they have the NGO connections, they have the CIA connections, they have the oligarch connections, and the Mikolas don't. And um, so I think that's just mostly it. Uh, Kiev is fighting for Azov because uh, because those are well-connected people um, and uh, they feel like they have an obligation towards Azov and they don't feel any obligation towards the AFU, especially since most of them are from Eastern Ukraine anyway. So they are regarded as subhuman by Kiev anyway, just as cannon fodder to be thrown into the meat grinder, and they don't care what happens to them. Yeah, the so-called Shidniki. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be cheerful about uh, even the liberation of Lysychansk, because uh, to this day, uh, every major battle will destroy eastern Ukraine and will not harm, well, hostile territories of Ukraine to Russia, right? And uh, the only joy I will feel is when uh, there will be battles for Ivano-Frankovsk or something like that. Yeah, but they will join Poland before that happens. Sadly. In every war, the scumbags are always victorious and unharmed, sadly. Right, uh, so what is there to talk about on the city of right, about liberation of Lugansk region? Uh, let's remember uh, how did Lugansk uh, start rebellion against the new Ukraine government after the Maidan coup in 2014. There were many grassroots leaders from the natives of Lugansk. Uh, one of them was uh, Alexei Mazgavoy, uh, who was uh, the leader of the Ghost Brigade. Uh, he came from a village in the Svatovo Rayon, and uh, he served in the 90s in Ukrainian army. He was also a poet and a singer. Yeah, and after Maidan, he was uh, one of the fiercest supporters of uh, the revolt against the new Ukrainian government. He was um, playing his part in the requisition of uh, SBU buildings and uh, stuff like that. Unlike many of the newly formed uh, rebels he was a monarchist and he liked to style his uh, brigade uh, with uh, orthodox and cossack aesthetics many cossacks uh, joined his ranks early days of the battles against the fu uh, the ghost brigade was uh, very effective especially considering its size they were fooling a few left and right and were instrumental in the defense of lisichansk in April 2014. Uh, it was them who blew one of the first bridges over Seversky Donetsk and uh, it slowed down Ukrainian advancements in the region. In the middle of the summer, Ghost Brigade was growing in numbers and a lot of volunteers, uh, international volunteers also joined their ranks. It was close to a thousand soldiers or maybe a little more. The problem was is that he uh, was also against the divide uh, between the LNR and DNR. 
the political divide. He didn't believe mm-hmm. uh, that uh, they need to be separate republics because uh, they need to uh, build a new uh, global Novorossian government, right, and uh, liberate it as fast as possible. And uh, he was also against the moderate approach uh, that was professed by Bolotov, the then official head of LNR at the time. Uh, he wanted to de-arm every single Ukrainian soldier and lustrate every Ukrainian official that would uh, get in their hands and not let them get away and not make deals. It angered the LPR political elite and in 2015 when a new Kremlin-appointed Kremlin uh, head of LPR Plotnitsky took charge of government, his relationship with the political center became outright hostile. Being pushed back from Lysinchansk, uh, he was in control of Alchevsk, uh, and there he insisted that they must hold a military parade on 9 of May, the Victory Day, while the head of LPR, the Plotnitsky, was against it. Mosgovoy said that he was threatened uh, with death, uh, that he would be killed if he did um, this parade in Alchevsk. Um, so he did it anyway, and after two weeks, in 23 of May 2015, while on the road to Lugansk, two cars with Mosgovoy and his guards were destroyed by machine guns. Ukrainian saboteurs, with that were calling themselves uh, Tien, claimed that it was them who killed Mosgovoy, but uh, judging by his very hostile relationship and the threats from the Lugansk uh, politicians, it's very much uh, doubtful. What do you think about the fate of Mosgovoy? Well, I'm still not sure the 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 Ukrainian the DRG uh, kind of became a meme yeah. when a lot of uh, Novorossia commanders started uh, dying um, but I'm still not sure really it's a difficult question and I don't have a definitive opinion on it I guess um, but in any case what's important is that uh, Prizreg still exists it was reorganized as the 14th Territorial Defense Battalion of the Ugansk People's Militia. Um, but internally they kept all the traditions of Prizrak alive. And I just saw a video from Lysychansk where a man um, said to a reporter that when the Prizrak left Lysychansk in 2014, they gifted him a flag and he had kept that flag all these years. Mm. And now he can take it out again. So the spirit of Mosgovoy, the spirit of Prizrak is still alive. And uh, I think uh, with the liberation of the Ugansk People's Republic, we can say that Mosgovoy has won after all. Yeah, I hope uh, there will be some monuments to Mosgovoy in Lysychansk. Actually, Lysychansk uh, to this day, despite the eight year of occupation, seems to be a very, well, a very pro-Russian city, all in all. I've seen a lot of videos with the locals, um, mm-hmm. and they, a lot of them, say that yeah, they waited for it uh, for eight years to return home, and it's not 
the universal, I guess. Uh, in Mariupol, I think it's it wasn't like that. Yeah, there were Russian people, but uh, Mariupol was much more heavily reprogrammed. And yeah, the destruction of Mariupol did not win any new supporters, I think. Donetsk is, uh, is controlled by uh, Russian forces and uh, DPR for uh, about 50%, right? Or 55% is under control. Yeah, pretty around the, that. It's uh, yeah. a long way to go to uh, liberate the entire Donetsk region. Well, right now the fight is for the northern part of Donetsk Oblast. At the beginning of the war, only a small part of Donetsk Oblast was under Russian control. Um, now they have access to the Black Sea. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's coming is basically the fight for the north of Donetsk Oblast with Slavyansk and Kermatorsk. And then the, the um, southwest with uh, Uglidar. And uh, of course the contact line that has to be broken. I actually think that uh, it's possible that uh, they will, once fighting moves closer to Donetsk, that they will actually move north from uh, Volnavacha and uh, capture Uglidar and just attack the flanks of like Marienka and Avdeevka um, because the southern uh, edge of the front line in uh, northern Donetsk Oblast will be around New York anyway, New York and Taretsk, uh, so it would make sense to uh, attack from the south as well. But I guess we'll see how that turns out. At least that's what I would do. I would just blockade uh, Slavyansk and Kramatorsk and then push north from mm -hmm. Uglida. Yeah, in any case, uh, geographically, LNR and DNR are quite different because Lugansk shares all of its uh, border, eastern border with Russia. And Donetsk has much uh, smaller border with Russia around Taganrog region. And uh, the rest mm -hmm. is bordering the U Ukraine and... Um, on the east Lugansk, so it's uh, like a western and eastern province. Yes. So there was also uh, an American Independence Day, and uh, we are gonna briefly tell you what this uh, holiday was about in the language of uh, 2022. To fully picture what is uh, the revolt of Donbass and Lugansk regions against the Ukrainian crown, is the most similar to. So, a number of uh, Britain's uh, outlying territories have been growing discontent that their interests are in no way represented in the British politics, despite their gigantic role in the economy. Uh, that's where the slogan appeared, no taxation without representation. Uh, the situation erupted into open conflict. 13 People's Republic were formed, led, as usual, by bandits, separatists and terrorists. These bandits, um, for the following years, fought with the legitimate authorities in London, who tried to organize ATO against them, the anti-terrorist operation. And most of the civilized world at the time has spoken out against these separatists, in support of London's sovereignty over uh, these territories, except for Russia, Ru <laughs> which declared neutrality. And 
the leader and ideologues of those people's republics, that is, bandits, were called Washington, Jefferson, Hamilton, Franklin, etc. It's very right that the US embassy in Russia right now stands in the square of Donetsk People's Republic, because they really are connected. This, uh, there is a lot of commonality between the Founding Fathers uh, and the modern Donbass separatists, because both of them are fighting for the right to sovereignty and uh, have all the control over its interests uh, in economy. Yes, and of course, uh, both uh, these separatist entities were supported by evil Russian meddling. Yeah, so uh, Russia is very logical in its support of various separatists and bandits all over the world, Americans and people of Donbass. Uh, it's really easy to convince Americans uh, to like Donetsk and Lugansk rebellions, right? <laughs> you need to just uh, find a convenient historical analogy that they are all uh, believe in. So, happy Independence Day of uh, United States of Zmerinka, and see you next time.